Well, even though we are uh, moving more and more deeply into the fall season, for some reason something came to mind recently that happens in the winter and spring in my native hometown of El Paso. El Paso is a high desert city in the midst of what is known as the Chihuahuan Desert that goes up into southern New Mexico and a large part of Mexico in that part of the country of Mexico. El Paso is around 4,000 feet high, and there's a mountain range, the Franklin Mountains, that dissect the city with peaks of 7,000 feet or so. And the barren cactus-covered mountains are, are stunning, at least to me who loves the desert. And although the average rainfall is around 8 inches a year, whenever it does rain between January and April, something astonishing happens. A vast area along the Franklin Mountains explode in a sea of golden color as poppies bloom. It is spectacular. I'm assuming you can see the picture on the screen. And over the years, folks have wondered where the poppies came from to begin with, and lots of weird theories have been proposed. But some deep digging research by a few people reveal the origin of this annual event. And as it turns out, in the 1930s, a group of businessmen got together and came up with a plan to cover as much of that part of the mountain as possible with poppy seeds. And the goal was simply to create beauty and to attract visitors to the city. And one thing that's striking to me is that the poppies bloom on what is known as the Kastner Range in the Franklin Mountains. And the Kastner Range was actually used by the military and the Department of Defense for over 30 years as a bombing and target practice range. Tanks were everywhere. The area, fortunately now, has largely been cleaned up and, it, and it's preserved. Well, this last week I've been thinking about those poppies, those golden poppies that bloom every year in what is a barren stark space that used to be filled with ordnance, both exploded and unexploded. And for me, this story is a great metaphor that sometimes astonishing beauty shows up in what on the surface may seem really bleak. The poppy story reminds me that beauty can be found in the midst of what is awry, unsettling, upending, disturbing, or amiss. And in the midst of this ugly time we are in, in this nation, I have seen, witnessed, and been on the receiving end of something extraordinarily beautiful. And that is compassion. You might even say that compassion is much like a golden poppy that blooms. And sometimes compassion, like those poppies in El Paso, shows up in the most unexpected of places. Places in which we are most in need of a different perspective from the stark realities we're living within. So this morning I want to talk to you about compassion. And as we continue, however, it's important first to define what compassion is as best we can. According to various sources, and I quote, compassion means to, to suffer with to suffer alongside of. It is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. 
Another source defines compassion by distinguishing compassion from empathy. Person writes, compassion is not the same as empathy. While empathy refers more generally to our ability to take the perspective of another person, compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include a desire to help. The Dalai Lama once said, if you want to know what compassion is, look into the eyes of a mother or father as they cradle their sick and fevered child. Regarding to how to define the nature of compassion, the writer Brennan Manning states, with some adaptations, Jesus is often described as having compassion. And the word, the Greek word, used in the New Testament for compassion when compassion is associated with Jesus means to be moved with compassion. But there is a deeper meaning. The word in the New Testament associated with Jesus for compassion means intestines, bowels, entrails, the inward parts of a person. This is where phrases like he was moved with pity or her heart went out to him come from. When Jesus is described as having compassion, it means his heart was torn. It means his gut was wrenched. It means the most vulnerable part of his being was laid bare. Henry Nouwen described the word for Jesus' compassion as the movement of the womb of God. And Brennan Manning adds that the mystic Meister Eckhart wrote, you may call God love, you may call God goodness, but the best name for God is compassion. Clearly, compassion is at the heart of who Jesus was and is. Yet it's important to point out that even before Jesus showed up in person, in the Old Testament, God was known to be a God of compassion. Our first reading today is from the book of Isaiah. And in it, the people have been taken away from their homeland. Things are as bad as it can possibly be. And in response, Isaiah tells the people, in the midst of all their pain, sing for joy, rejoice, burst into song. Mountains, even you celebrate. And why does Isaiah say this and do this? Because he knows that God is a God of compassion. He tells the people that God will have compassion on them in their suffering. And there are many other examples throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. Psalm 86, right, you know, the writer says, But you, O Lord, are God of compassionate. And the writer of the book of Deuteronomy says, Your God will gather you and bring you back home. God will have compassion on you. And there are countless other examples. So with all of this in mind, let's move on to our reading from Matthew today. And in it, we heard a very busy teaching and healing, Jesus leaves the town of Jericho. A large group of people follow him, as was generally the case. And two visually impaired guys are sitting alongside the roadside as Jesus walks by, and they plead for mercy. And clearly their suffering was great, as was the long-standing experience of being ostracized by their community. It was likely that some people in their community thought their blindness was their own fault. Well, anyway, ignoring jeering voices and hard-hearted people, Jesus asks the two men what they want from him, and they respond, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus is then moved with compassion. 
Said another way, going back to how we defined compassion earlier, in response to the men who cannot see, Jesus' heart is torn. His gut is wrenched. His heart is splayed open. At the deepest level of his being, Jesus feels for them and acts. And this pattern of people approaching Jesus and Jesus responding with gut-level profound feelings of compassion and then Jesus healing the person or people in front of him happens all over the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And I hope it's clear now that when Jesus feels compassion, it is clearly not a surface or a lightly held experience. When Jesus feels compassion, he's deeply moved. He experiences compassion with potency. I love what the writer Brennan Manning says. He says, this is not pious piffle. The risen Jesus is not the man upstairs. In his own being, Jesus feels every separation and loss, every heart split open with grief, every cry of mourning down the corridors of time. And Henry Nouwen writes with slight adaptations, Jesus has a heart that is not afraid of our fears and tremblings. To us who feel our own pain as no other human being feels it, has felt it, or will feel it, to us comes Jesus who says, I am with you in every pain, and your pain reverberates within my innermost self. Compassion. Compassion, as we have explored it, is the essence of who God is. The essence of Jesus was and is compassion. And as this is the case for just a few moments, I'd like to very briefly look at, look at with you why we might consider compassion as a way of living. Some things that can impede our compassion. Some things that can help us cultivate it. And ultimately, who we are invited to make the objects of our compassion. Well, first, the why. As I've been saying in various ways over the last several months, I sense that right now we are in a time of opportunity to deepen our faith, to grow closer to God than we have ever been, and to increase the degree to which we are Jesus' passionate presence wherever we find ourselves. I've been praying for the chapel family that we all acquire hearts like Jesus through this time. And one way to think about increasing our intimacy and our connectedness with God is to work toward moving our hearts toward God's heart. And as God is love, the more we love, the closer we move to God. As God is compassion, the more compassionate we are, the closer we move to the heart of God. But there's something amazing about all of this, and that is that when we fundamentally make our lives about compassion, the more we will discover that God is never separate from us ever. So love and compassion don't actually get us closer to God. They help us to realize that God was never away from us to begin with. Love and compassion as a way of living opens up our eyes to God's continual presence with us. Compassion is the root to intimacy with Jesus. This in part is why compassion is so important as a way of being. Now showing up with a stance of love and compassion I believe has to be an intentional action day in and day out. We have to seek compassion. 
we have to work on being compassionate. And there are things that can get in the way of compassion if we're not careful. Here are just a few. Selfishness. Putting ourselves first. Living from the space of competitiveness with others. Embracing stereotypes. Thinking in ways that divide people into groups. Having an us versus them mentality and fear are all compassion destroyers. Thinking that love and compassion represents weakness, or that love and compassion is fine in some domains of life, but not appropriate for others, moves us away from God's heart. Every business, every organization, large or small, every government, every nation, every town, every city, every community of faith, every military, every school, and so much more, I believe, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, need to be led with compassion at the forefront. Compassion is replacing the I with we. The them with us. And finally, when we avoid seeing our shared humanity with every other human being on the planet, our ability to be compassionate is vastly diminished. The bottom line, turn on any TV station, any radio, read any paper, listen to public figures, and their limitless, limitless voices and perspectives that demolish compassion and sometimes in very subtle and insidious ways. So we need to be careful about the voices we attend to. Many do not reflect the voice of a loving and compassionate Jesus. There are also things we can do to cultivate compassion. Fundamentally, compassion is about what we feel at the gut level, but it's only compassion when it's combined with action. Compassion is action. Compassion is what we do. Compassion is the old saying used to go as, what would Jesus do? Prayer, silence, reading about Jesus' life over and over and over and over again in Scripture moves us toward compassion. Repeatedly asking ourselves, how would Jesus act right now? Respond and speak moves us toward compassion. Repentance, embracing vulnerability, humility, and forgiveness move us toward compassion. Taking time to notice the pain in another person. It's not a hard thing to do. It's about opening our eyes and looking into the eyes and the expressions of another. Acknowledging our own faults and weaknesses and imperfection moves us toward compassion. I could go on and on, but the point is that compassion is action is something that we can cultivate with intention. It's a matter of will. Lastly, who are we invited to make the objects of our compassion? Well, for sure, we're called to take a stance of compassion with other people. We talk about this all the time at the chapel. We know that Jesus said, treat others as you want to be treated. We, we understand all that. So instead of talking about being compassionate with others, which is obvious, I believe that we may not consider enough God and ourselves as objects that need our compassion too. I often wonder how God feels when God looks at creation. I often wonder how God feels when he peers into the hearts 
of the people he has made. I often wonder what God experiences when he looks at humankind's long history of selfishness and self-centeredness. When God sees egos along with twisted thinking that leads to hurt and harm. I sometimes wonder how God feels when Jesus is far from my consideration when I'm about to act or speak. And so this leads me to the notion that God needs our compassion as the ones he made. And as action is compassion and compassion is action, I think the way that we show God our compassion is to be compassion, to live compassion. And finally, I know deeply that within us, many of, if not most of us, need some compassion directed toward ourselves. For us to let go of actions and thoughts and words and ways of feeling about ourselves that lead us feeling diminished and not connected to the overwhelming love of God. A love that cherishes us no matter what. Brendan Manning writes, It is simply not possible to know the Christ of the Gospels unless we alter our attitude toward ourselves and take sides with him against our own self-evaluation. When we love ourselves intensely and freely, then our feelings about ourselves correspond perfectly to the sentiments of Jesus. And so to conclude, there's so much beauty all around us. Beauty is everywhere of all kinds. And specifically, it is at this time that I believe that you and I have been given an invitation, an astonishing invitation from God. And that invitation is to live each day seeking with the intent to be the presence of compassion itself, to be the essence of compassion wherever we find ourselves, to be compassion with others, with God and ourselves. And I think when we move toward making compassion our essence, it's then that we become like magnificent poppies that show up at the desert at just the right time. Compassion, it is, it is the way. It is, it is the truth. And it is Jesus himself. Let us pray.